Well, Easter Sunday is coming. If you've been around here very long, you know that that's my favorite Sunday of the year. Uh, it's, it's, it's better than, I apologize to some, actually, I'm not sorry. It's better than Christmas. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I love it. And I'm excited to celebrate that. I think what we've been going through this uh, process of this journey to the cross has really built up this longing in me uh, for Easter Sunday. And so we're going to celebrate that in a pretty big way, a memorable way. So I hope that uh, you'll, you'll plan to be here and, and bring somebody with you for that. But we also know, and this is what we've been reminding ourselves, that we can't get to Easter without going on this journey to the cross. So we've been spending the last couple weeks, and then today and next week as well, and Good Friday, as we continue this journey uh, to the cross with Jesus, uh, we, we believe that as we understand his sufferings, we understand him better. Uh, it draws us closer to him, uh, deepens our connection with Christ to know what he went through on our behalf. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 15 today. I invite you to go ahead and, and cue that up, uh, however you, you read scripture today, and uh, follow along with us. But today what we're going to see is two opposing perspectives of power. Uh, the, the religious leaders and, and Pilate, they have uh, sort of a, a worldly power, and they do whatever they can to protect that, even if it means hurting other people. And Jesus, who has spiritual power, heavenly power, all, all power, takes a very different approach. We're going to read about um, the cruel punishment that was inflicted on an innocent man. And we're going to enter into the story of someone who took the place of a sinner, endured mocking from evil people, refused to defend himself when he was righteous. And we're going to remember why he did all that. So let's jump in. Uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. So the chief priests uh, have been building this plan all night. Their goal is to get Jesus executed. They don't have the power to do it themselves. So they have to convince Pilate, who represents Roman authority in Jerusalem, they have to convince Pilate that Jesus should die. So what's their best argument? What's their best accusation? What, what can they accuse him of that will convince Pilate that Jesus needs to die? Well, so what they, they say is he claimed to be a king. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. And this is a very serious claim. If, if Jesus is, is saying, I am a king, what he's also, what he's also saying is that, that whoever else thinks their king is actually not king, whether that's Herod or, or, or Pilate or Caesar. And so this, this threat has some historic significance too. If you remember when the wise men came, you remember around the birth of Jesus, the wise men, and they come to Jerusalem and they're looking for where the star is leading them. And they're like, where is, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And, and King Herod at the time, how does he receive that? He's like, yay, there's a new king in town. Can't wait to worship him. And actually what was going on was he was thinking, how can I protect my authority? How can I protect my power? And he ends up commanding the murder of children to protect his power. This, is this threat that Jesus is a king, it carries a lot of weight. It's actually considered treasonous uh, in this context. And so it definitely gets Pilate's attention. Are you the king of the Jews? 
Which is a weird question because it's like, why, why would he, why would he even say that he was king of the Jews? That's what I would want to know. Why do you think? Why do you think you're a king? But Paul says, "Are you the king of the Jews?" And Jesus says, "You have said so," which is kind of in our ears a very cryptic answer. It's like, you know, sometimes if you have kids, your teenagers give you answers back, and you're like, "What? What do you even mean? What does that even mean?" You have said so. What does that mean? It's it's not a yes. It's not a no. It's it's actually a form of a critique of the question. Jesus is kind of saying that's actually kind of a bad question. Because if I say yes, you're going to interpret it this way. And if I say no, you're going to interpret it this way. The truth was Jesus was king of the Jews. But it didn't mean what Pilate thought it meant. It didn't mean what the religious leaders thought it meant. And so he kind of gives this cryptic response. And however Pilate is going to interpret this, he holds on to that phrase, king of the Jews. And he's going to use it again. The soldiers are going to pick it up as a mock, a taunt. And then it's going to be written on a sign above the cross, king of the Jews. And Jesus doesn't respond. Pilate is amazed at his unwillingness to defend himself. I think Pilate recognized, he spent some time talking with Jesus. I think he recognized Jesus is sane, he's intelligent, and he's innocent. He could see all of those things in this conversation with him. And he can't for the life of him figure out why somebody who's sane and intelligent and innocent wouldn't speak on their own behalf wouldn't defend themselves. What does his silence mean? Jesus is clearly just choosing to let this process run its course. And I think his silence is a demonstration of power, great power, under control, under restraint. One of the internal dialogues that that runs through my head whenever I'm in conflict or wherever wherever I'm receiving criticism is, don't get defensive, don't get defensive, don't get defensive. (laughs) You ever say that to yourself? It doesn't always work, but that's what we say. Um, why do we get defensive when we're, when we're challenged, when we're criticized, when, when we're attacked? Why do, we, why do we rise up to defend ourselves? We, we, we feel like we have to protect the, the little bit of control that we have. We have to protect our power. We have to protect our authority. And so we're, we're so insecure about our power that, that we, we fight back whenever it's challenged. And we use words, we use actions to, to fight back and try to hold on to the to little power we have. We, we have a problem understanding power and control in our culture because you never really know how much you have, right? I mean, when we think of power in, in terms of control, my ability to control my own life, how much control over your life do you have? Kind of depends on the day, doesn't it? It kind of depends on who you have to interact with and what your obligations are. And there's sometimes when you feel like you have a lot of control, we call that Saturday. And then there are times when you feel like you have zero control at all. That's about Wednesday at 2 p.m. when you're like, there's got to be a better job out there, right? Like, we, we, go, we bounce back and forth over how much control we, we don't even know how much control we have. So we, we're really insecure about it. And we, we kind of play it like it's a zero-sum game. Like, if I want more power, I'm, I'm going to have to take it from somebody else. And we play this game like, when, when, we're, when we're challenged and attacked, where we say, yeah, maybe, maybe you have a point, but you, you have a problem too. And we we're really quick to go on the offensive when we're attacked and challenged and point out other people's faults. Jesus could have done that, right? Jesus could have pointed out the fault of the Sanhedrin, this, this religious ruling council. They're supposed to be impartial and fair. Did Jesus get a fair trial? No way. No one spoke on his behalf. No one testified about all the good that he had done and the ways that he had brought glory to God and blessing to the people. He didn't get a fair trial. He could have pointed that back on them and said, yeah, I said I'm the king of the Jews, but you guys didn't even give me a fair trial. He could have justified himself. 
He, he, he could have convinced Pilate exactly who he was by performing a miracle right in front of him. Pilate, you, you've seen monkeys eat bananas. You ever seen a banana eat a monkey? You want to see that? I mean, he could have done anything and just proved who he was right then and there. But Jesus is secure in his power. He doesn't have to defend himself. So he never leverages his own power for his own benefit because that's what people who are secure can do. Let's continue um, in Mark 15, verse 6. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So we've got this, this Barabbas guy. He's, he's in prison. He's been a part of this uprising. The Jewish people were kind of traditionally rebellious. Uh, they, they didn't take too well to being ruled over. And some of you are like, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm Jewish. I don't know. I, I don't like being ruled over either. And so they would, they would rise up in rebellion against whoever happened to be in charge at the time. And so in one of these uprisings, there, some, some of these rebels committed murder. Barabbas got caught up in this somehow, and he's, he's in prison. He's guilty. He deserves to be there. He, maybe he deserves to die. Maybe he's the one who deserves to be crucified. And he wakes up this morning. Some soldiers come and get him, and they're like, hey, we got good news for you, man. It's your lucky day. You're free to go. He's got to be thinking, there's got to be a catch. What's the catch? What's, am I being pranked? Is it April 4th? What day is it? Like, what's going on here? Well, so there's this guy named Jesus. Maybe you heard of him. He healed people. He brought people back from the dead. He told people to love each other. That guy's been condemned. He's taken your place. Guys, that's us. That, that Barabbas, that's you and me. We're guilty. Paul says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And yet we get to wake up every morning knowing that the one who opened the eyes of the blind and called us to honor God with every part of our lives, was condemned as guilty and took our place. Because we chose to hold on to power. We want the control over what's right and what's wrong and to put us in a place where we need a savior. And so Pilate is having this, this interaction with Jesus and um, John, in his gospel, gives us a little more detail. John 19, 10 and 11. Pilate says, uh, do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate says, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate says, Jesus, I'm, I'm holding all the cards. I've got, I, I'm holding your life in my hands. And Jesus, who breathed creation into existence, doesn't actually laugh in his face, which you kind of like, he could have, he probably should have. He's like, you, 
Where do you think power comes from? I mean, who has more power? Pilate or the person who gave Pilate his power, which is Caesar? Obviously, Caesar has more power than Pilate because that's where Pilate's power came from. Well, who has more power, Caesar or the one who gave Caesar his power, which would be God? Well, obviously, God has more power than Caesar. That's where Caesar's power and ability to rule even comes from. So Jesus is looking at Pilate going, you know, your boss, the guy who gave you your job, I'm his boss. You have no power over me. Jesus would say earlier in John, no one takes my life from me. I I give it freely. Pilate was a little confused about where power comes from, how authority actually worked. He thought he had power over Jesus. I wonder sometimes if we get confused about Jesus's authority in our lives. I wonder if sometimes if we think Jesus is supposed to submit to our opinions, our preferences, the position that we take on issues, because we form these opinions, and then we go to scripture and we look for some support. Can I find anything in the Bible that supports the decision that I've made to have this opinion? <laughs> and Jesus has got to be going, who? Who do you think you are? Like, what do you think is happening here? This is why it's so important that we learn to read and interpret scripture and apply it correctly. Because we can get caught up with this without knowing. Some people do it on purpose. A lot of us just fall into it because we're not paying attention to what Jesus actually says. So that's why we, Christian education is very important here because we want people to learn how to read and understand scripture. Andy's actually teaching a class on that right now on how to read and understand scripture. And so if that's something that you're like, I don't ever want to co-opt Jesus and try to, try to twist Jesus to come to my side. I wanna be on his side every time. Maybe, maybe that's a good class for you. Because we need to understand where, where authority comes from and, and be really careful about how we use Jesus at times to support our own thoughts and opinions. So um, Jesus is uh, being condemned by the crowd. They're, they're shouting, crucify him. The, the crowd is really upset with him. And you're like, where, where did these people come from? Where are the people who were there on, on Palm Sunday saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where are all those people? This is a different crowd. And they've been stirred up by the chief priest. And the chief priest, the the religious leaders have a lot of authority and influence with the people and they say, hey, this is a bad guy. You should, you should want this guy dead. Then they, they just, just kind of jump on board and they do that because they're afraid of losing their power. They're afraid of backing a false Messiah. And so they incite the crowd and they leverage their influence for their benefit so they can hold on to what they have. But Jesus restrains his power over and over again. I think what we see here is that the people, us, human beings, we will, we will hold on to our power. We'll destroy other people. We'll hurt other people to hold on to the little bit of control or authority or to get more. And all Jesus ever did was leverage his power to protect people. Because restraining power, that demonstrates something that, that we all need to build in, this self-control, this ability to say, I'm not gonna use whatever resource I have for myself. 
It means that just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. Just because we can defend ourselves doesn't necessarily mean that we should. Just because we can justify our words or our behavior doesn't mean that we should. What we should do should always be determined by what's best for people, not what protects me or my power. This is a difficult lesson to learn sometimes. When we get it wrong, it breaks relationships. It's hard to put back together. So at the end of this passage, um, there's sort of a throwaway line that says, a pilot had him flogged and then sent him off to be crucified. We kind of go, oh, flogged, that sounds bad. Oh, it, it was really bad. The people who are reading this, Mark doesn't go into the detail of what was involved with being flogged because the people reading it, they know and they don't want, they don't want to hear the details. It, it's, it's a bad image in their minds. Most people that experience this level, this flogging as, as Mark describes it, were left unconscious. Many of them suffered brain damage or like life, lifelong trauma and some people even died from it. But Jesus wasn't given the gift of unconsciousness or death at this point. He feels every blow. Power, being restrained. Power under great control. Let's pick up in verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium called, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. We see again this title, King of the Jews, uh, just is a refrain. It just keeps coming up over and over again. And it's picked up by the soldiers now, and they're using it as, as a joke, a way to, to taunt Jesus. And they take this joke pretty far. They find a, a purple robe, and they put it on him, and they, somebody goes through the trouble to make a, a crown of thorns. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's not like something you, you just do casually. Like, you got to be pretty careful. Like, they're taking this joke pretty far. They even, they even get down on their hands and knees and, and pretend to worship him. And from our perspective, all of this seems so ironic. It's like you're pretending, you're, 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 you think you're mocking him when actually he, he deserves to be worshiped. <laughs> what you're doing in sarcasm is what we ought to do literally because he really is a king. He just doesn't look like a king in this moment. He looks very much unlike a king right now. And what they don't recognize is that in the kingdom of God, Power and authority are often disguised as powerlessness. When authority and vulnerability go together in the way that it happens in the kingdom of God, it doesn't look like power. So these, these guys had no idea that the guy they were, they were making fun of as the king of the Jews was actually not just, not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he could have ended them with a word. They expected kings to be protected by people, right? Kings have honor guards and like these people around them to make sure nothing bad happens to them, right? Jesus didn't have an honor guard. There was no one there on Jesus' behalf to eliminate threats for him. He made himself vulnerable. That means he put himself in a position where other people could hurt him. He did it on purpose. And these guys just misunderstood the nature of true power. That in the kingdom of God, authority and vulnerability come together and strength is never leveraged 
for the people in power, but for those without. So what about us? What is our relationship with power? Our culture has a very complicated relationship with power and control and authority. We all wish we had a little more of it, but anytime we see somebody with more power, control, or authority than we have, we're very suspicious of them, skeptical and cynical because we think they're going to use it to hurt us. So it's very complicated. We're slow to trust people who have power. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have of power. Do you know this? Disciples of Jesus, we walk around with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us every single day. Jesus told the disciples the day before this trial and the flogging and all of this, the day before he tells them, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. You guys, you've seen the miracles. You've seen all the stuff. If you believe in me, you're going to do all that. And in fact, you're going to do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, when I leave, something's going to happen that's going to give you the same power that I've been operating out of for the last three years. That something is a someone, it's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells them, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, he's, he's going to fill you up. And we're like, yes, power, finally. Somebody's giving us power. I don't have to take it from someone. Somebody's going to give me power. And yet we fail to see the power of the Holy Spirit show up in our lives. And I wonder if it's because we can't figure out how to make the Holy Spirit work on our behalf. We forget the Holy Spirit doesn't work for us, but he works in us for others. He does not work for our prosperity, our comfort, our convenience. He's not here for us to get us good parking spaces and shorter lines at the grocery store. That's not what the Holy Spirit's about. When you read the book of Acts and you see how the Holy Spirit shows up, it's, it's, it's never for the benefit of people. In fact, sometimes the Christians get put in some really tough situations. They suffer because of the work of the Holy Spirit, but that work is always done to leverage power for those without, to invite people who think they would never be invited into the kingdom of God. I want us to see the power of the Holy Spirit show up. Craig Groeschel says that if you don't know the purpose of something, all you can do is misuse it. Some of us guys know this. We come across things in our workshops and we're like, I don't know what this is, but let's use it as a hammer, right? Like it's, we just don't know the purpose, so we misuse things. The same thing happens with the Holy Spirit. When we don't know what the Holy Spirit is for, we tend to make it work for us. What is the Holy Spirit gonna do for me to make my life better, to make my life easier? And we forget that's not what the Holy Spirit's for. The Spirit of God is longing to work through the people of God on behalf of the broken and the wounded and the oppressed and the marginalized and the mistreated. And maybe he's just waiting for us to stop trying to serve ourselves. I want to see the Holy Spirit's power in my life. I want to see him work through me to be a blessing to others. I want, to, I want that for you and I want that for our church family. I want the Spirit to work through Cicero Christian Church and see the Spirit of God unleashed on our community on behalf of the powerless and the oppressed and the marginalized. I want to see people who don't know Jesus and think they could never be invited. I want to see them invited to life with Jesus. That's what the Spirit is waiting to do. That's what the Spirit is on the edge of his seat leaning in to do through us. We're going to learn to listen. We got to learn to readjust our expectations of power 
to know that we have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and it's not for us, but it's in us for others. So we're gonna end today with a prayer. Summer Bailey is gonna come. She's farther down the road than me in this. She's really good at listening to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit work through her to bless other people. So she's gonna lead us in a prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to come and show up in our lives in in new ways. Um, So uh, Summer, thank you for helping us out. Go ahead and lead us.